Anyways, right after this experience came out, it's a book that Ebby brought to Bill after his spiritual experience. So he had a deeper understanding. It's also a foundation for Bill's first step theory, you know, of how deflation was, you know, led to awakening or experience. It also breaks, it explains the difference between awakening and experience, which Bill read both, but didn't really grasp it right away. Other members explained it to him. So that book is big. The next one is Modern Man in Search of, of, of a Soul by Do, uh, Dr. Carl Jung, 1933. It's a perfect introduction to new, new philosophical ideas and concepts for this new society because it covers man's need to have an awakening, how emotions and influences a person's attitude. It's a really hard read, but it's a good book. And how negative attitude can change to awareness and create negative emotions, you know, like targeting self-esteem as high or low, you know, awareness of, you know, changes a person's attitude type stuff. And, you know, psychic change. And he believed in order to overcome self-centeredness, a spiritual conversion is necessary, he explains in that book. The next one is Sermon on the Mount. It's a guy that's mentioned, Emmett Fox. This was... Um, set forth the basic principles of what was called the new thought philosophy and metaphysics. That was the big thing. And in in, when A came out, you have something called the new thought philosophy. And that's what really helped us go. And stuff like, but his is pretty deep. Because like, God is the only power. That man is a, a, a God, man is a child of God. God is perfect and good. Forgiving others. Scientific prayer, which is, you know, praying and taking action. You know, daily meditation. Um, you know, consciousness and deeper spiritual development and God will always heal this type of stuff. There's a couple of books by Fox I want to mention and that the first one is called Find and Use the Inner Power, Your Inner Power. And the next one is Power Through um, Constructive Thinking and The Great Adventure. So I'll mention those again, Find and Use Your Inner Power, Power Through Constructive Thinking, and the great adventure and one more is alter your life. I just almost forgot that one. Those are all good books by him. Um, these guys read this guys closely and a man thinketh by James Allen. And that's 1903. So a little bit of an older book, like, you know, William James time, but it's, it's, it's a James Allen's amazing. And it's about the power of thought. The underlying premise of a noble, Thoughts create a noble person. A moral person create a moral person, right? I mean, moral thoughts create a moral person. Bad thoughts make a miserable person. That's the type of thing he does. But we are what we think, what the book's about. And he focuses really on fear. And he says stuff in there like, the worst kind of fear is fear of fear. And he talks about having a calm, serene mind, you know, shuts out the weaker mind type stuff. It's very deep stuff. Number five is A Common Sense of Drinking, 1933, Richard Peabody. We mentioned this a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go too much into it, but big, huge influence on Alcoholics Anonymous, big. And he was the first to use medical terms like alcoholic and alcoholism. But he used italic writing. He used terms like powerlessness, malady, spree, uh, manifestation, maladjusted life, root of our problem, drink like gentlemen, recover, words like that. Once alcoholic, always alcoholic. Half measures of ill is nothing. Real alcoholic, hard drinker, stuff like that. Just a man of 30s and, and his thing. 
The next one is um, the the writings of Samuel Shoemaker, and this stuff he did from 1920 to 1945. Huge influence. Um, some of those books are like they're short little pocket books. You can't find them anywhere. I mean, you can probably find them some uh, download somewhere. But National Awakening, Religion That Works, Confident, uh, Confident Faith, How to Find God. If I lift you up as one, you can find First Century Christian Fellowship, which eventually became Oxford Group. Those books were really about how to find God through action, and also what to do when you have God. You know, God can manage me; I cannot manage myself. Type stuff. You know, and then the one he had in there, one of his books talked a lot about the decision to cast our will and life to God. Sound familiar? God taking care of our needs. So all these words. These guys are just taking us in. And then what is the Oxford group? Um, unknown writer, 1933. So soul surgery, which is one i mentioned next, outlines the Oxford group methods. What is the Oxford group? Explains the group's full range of practices, absolutes, you know, surrender, restitution, guidance. It doesn't really get into it. But the next one, soul surgery by Howard Walter in 1921, um, th this one was... They, they revised them a little bit so they would fit more together because the group really took off. But this was a, a, a really deep out on the Oxford group program. The first real Oxford, you know, first book they did. And this book had deaths and practices and basically directions book, like the big book. It was a big influence on it. For students only by Arthur J. Russell, best known as the Oxford group Bible. This, you know, book tells the story of the Oxford group's movement how it started, Frank Buckman and everything like that, but he gets into practices of, you know, the, uh, I'm gonna paraphrase it, I think it's called the nine ingredients of, of love, and it's like patience, kindness, humility, unselfish, good temperament, and all stuff like that, I forget them all, but, but this is a really good book. Um, someone lent me that book a long time ago and I read it, but um, the next guy we'll see, he's a huge influence on AA, named Glenn C. And the book is called The Upper Room. And it's just a daily devotional book. You know, but Glenn C., they liked him because he was simple and he wasn't overly, you know, dogmatic and Christian, you know, uh, evangelical. So the next one was Ann Smith's Journal. And Bill Wilson called her the mother of AA and considered her a founder. And she assembled the, her journals from 33 and 39, and she was big into daily devotion. And her journal had directions for Oxford group stuff, you know, in spiritual terms they, that they could grasp. She would like reinterpret it for them. And she really spearheaded a spiritual program. She could really describe the spiritual ideas that we see. And she was, when Bill explain, ex, expanded the six steps and the 12, a lot of the wordings we see are very from that journal. Um, 12 was the medical journals of William Duncan Silkworth. And that's from 1931 to 40. You can actually find these and I'll put it in the chat on silkworth.net. I have a direct link to these, but like manifestation of an allergy, his medical from his medical journal was written in 1931, well before the big book even was a thought. And um, let me see if I can put it in the chat right now. Oh, there it goes. Technology there. Um, so uh, it, 
you can download those. And it's, it's interesting to read. Some were written afterwards, but they read this stuff very close. And if it wasn't for these journals, they would never even consider him for Docker's opinion. Um, the Higher Powers of Mind, Body, and Spirit by Ralph Waldo Trine. Trine was huge. This is 1917. He was a philosopher and the leader of the New Thought Movement, one of the leaders in the New Thought Movement, and contributed to spiritual words, you know, A, language like higher power, fourth dimension of existence, spirituality, power greater than yourself, stuff like that, and other metaphysical terms. Another one of his books that that, that they read um, was With the Infinite, and that was one, that was a really old one, like 1890, and there's lots of short books he had. The next one is a very interesting group. It's a set of writings and their pamphlets called the Writings of the Young People's Society of Christian Endeavor. Some people just call them the, the Society of the Christian Endeavor, but that's their Young People's Society. And their books were, no one knew who they were from, 19, from when they started, 1886 to 1907. Not a lot of people knew who they were in one state. But when metaphysics took off, people started grabbing their books like 20 years later. And... They, they thought to find substance and practices, you know, how, how to read scripture, the scientific prayer again, um, principles and service, seeking God's guidance through quiet time, through, through meditation. And the last one is Glenn, is, uh, Glenn C. again, I will, uh, Glenn Clark, his name is, I will lift up my mine eyes. And closely, closely read by Bill Wilson. And this was basically required uh, readings of the first these first guys and um, discussions of power and you know, transformation of life discussions, profound difference between worshiping God and knowing God, which is different stuff back then, but they really liked them. I'm going to mention a couple other books um, that are on this list. The runner's Bible was really popular. That was by Nora Smith Ohm, 1913. Um, the next one is The Greatest Thing in the World by Henry Drummond. That was eight, that's really old one, 1880. But Bill talked about that in one of his interviews I heard. For Sinners Only, that's Arthur J. Russell, of the Oxford Group. Religion and Medicine, and that's The Moral Teachings of the Nervous Disorders by Elwood Worcester, and that's a manual movement guy. Read it really close. He was one of the first outside people in like 1930. Six, hey, they brought him in just to speak. You know, they would sink these guys in. And and I will let them in mind's eye. Um, I think I mentioned that one already. Yeah. So I'm going to close this out. I'll, I will post this in our, our WhatsApp group, and I put the link to that. You can find all this stuff I put up. Um, so let's talk about this. So we might go a little bit overnight because there's a lot of information, but that's good. Um, in the fall of 37... You know, they're reading all these books. And Bill and Bob, you know, when I mentioned they have 40 members. So they're at a gathering. It's, I believe it was a Christmas party in December. And their word-of-mouth recovery program consisted, you know, the consisting of six stuff had really, you know, grown. And they're, like, looking around the room going, you know, there's something, something big's going on here. And it was then that Bill gave, completely gave up the idea of returning to, it, you know, he was thinking about restarting his business and making a, just like his side project, flip-flopped around. He only used his, his business, never went back to his business. He still did stock, but never went, he never stopped his own business again. He had a dream and he gave up on it for Alcoholics Anonymous, which was his real dream. 
eight, but he went full time in eight. So in the spring of 38, there were two meetings in New York and Akron. And Bill always thought bigger. So he began to focus on the idea to bring the future, as I call that Boston, I say to other states. And so the, what they came up with was the idea was for a speaking tour, but there was no money. They wanted to caravan across the United States, but no money to do that. So they came up with a new project and the project was coded book of experience. And it was, it could be a book to describe how to get sober and stay sober. It wasn't meant ever meant to be a sponsorship book. It was just meant for you to read in another state. If I send it to Canada and if Rob never won in Canada, you can have an experience. But, um, so Bill and the rest of these guys, they thought really big, they thought big and they had no doubt what they were creating is going to be groundbreaking, you know, and it would change the world. They, they were, there was no doubt in their minds. There's no failure. And um, the problem though, money. So Charles B. Towns, he used to own her Towns Hospital where Silkworth worked. Um, and very prominent man, very rich. And um, he was very impressed with what Bill had done. All of a sudden a guy, no one ever came through his treatment center and turned around and stayed sober and came back and helped people and got them to, to come back. So he's, eyes are open. Um, so he offered Bill a job. When Bill went to hit money up to him, he goes, oh, I got better at me. I'm gonna give you a job. And he offered him to run the hospital and that Silkworth would be medical director and he would be like the, the recovery director. And he could live there and he could do all his work and, and and Bill brought us up to the group about the job offer. One of the members stood up and said, I don't remember who it was, but said, um, it, you know, it really changed its set course, whether it's just, he said, Bill, you got to realize we can never be professional. This can never be a business. So he went back and turned towns down and we're sick with help. Towns gave a loan of $2,500, that's $42,000 today. Then they were offered good money by a publishing company, big money for that time. And upfront money, but they didn't really, you know, there was a lot of loopholes in it. Everyone was, was like, let's do it, except for Bill and Hank Parkhurst. Now, Hank is a businessman. Bill's a stockbroker. And he, they knew how to hustle. And so Bill and... Hank formed Works Publishing Company and they sold 600 shares of Works Publishing Company um, at $25 per share. It's about $325 a day, if it was worth. Um, the money from the sales would you know, be used to pay off its expenses. And they would bill and Ruth Hawk was the person that typed up the big book with Bill, the secretary, to continue to do the work. Um, then they went to Rockefeller John D. Rockefeller, and they wanted him to donate $50,000, $650,000 today. He declined, said that much money would spoil things, and he contributed $5,000 and $30 weekly payments. That's about $65,000 today. And 
the reason he turned them down is more than just spoiling them. The Rockefellers were prominent, right, in America. They, they, they had good Rockefellers and they had bad Rockefellers. And people, the stigma was that the Rockefellers ran the country, owned the country, ran the country. And John D. was known as a good Rockefeller. But he knew the stigma the Rockefeller name would could bring, and he did not want this new group to be brought down by the Rock by the Rockefellers or be called the Rockefeller movement. And he also had fears that Rockefeller members could buy him out or you know or hold it over their head. So he just secretly paid them, and they started writing the book on March of nineteen thirty eight. Bill is a principal writer. He edited and rewrote the manuscripts at his home on legal paths and dictated them to his secretary, Ruth. Um, he's a, like I said, principal writer. Here's the thing. There's one problem. It's not a problem though. He never written a book. Bill got sober in December 11, 1934. The big book was released in June 10th of 39. He began writing in May of 38. He had three years, a little over three years sober when the book was written. The way time is looked at nowadays, just let that sink in for a second. Three years sober and he's writing this thing. What, what, what would A members today do if some guy wanted to write a book on A's and he got three years, they say, sit down until you got some time, you know? <laughs> but know this, when Bill was writing the book, he was on fire. I mean, God's flowing through this guy's veins, very guided. He's a visionary, a visionary. Because he's spiritually woke. Spiritually awake people have visions all the time. And he saw no failure, like I said before. He knew everyone, everything in this book needed to connect to the real alcoholic. Everything. The other members that helped with the book were also on fire. Just, these aren't all of them, but Hank Parker said, listen to the time these guys had. Hank Parker's two years. Fitz Mayo, two years. Phil Smith, two years. Jim Borwell, perhaps the biggest influence from the crowd on this book, had five months. Five months. Five months. Others contributed had just a few months also. Let that sink in for a second. If it was written today, none of these guys would be allowed in the room. Let's just let that sink in. I mean, all these guys are on fire. But the book consisted of two separate sections, an outline of the program and a collection of individual recovery stories put together and edited by a sober um, newspaper reporter who would actually coin the name Alcoholics Anonymous. I forget his name, but... Um, the first half of the book required much more work. And three main sources, you know, Bill used was the Oxford Group, Sam Shoemaker, Dr. Silkworth, Carl John, William James, and Richard Peabody, the style Richard Peabody used. And when Bill started to lay out the big book, he gathered members together and he would read the contents in there and route bad discussion, led to debates and arguments, especially when we discussed spiritual, like we agnostics. It spent six months on that, arguing over it. Bill knew the book had to appeal to every single type of person, the atheist, the religious member, like I said, the alcoholic. But he wanted everyone to have a voice. So he broke it down into three committees. He divided everyone into three committees. And the first committee was called the conservatives. It's a faction of evangelistical Christian members. In other words, the, 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 the more aggressive members from a religious uh, standpoint. This is led by uh, Fitz Mayo, and he was a hardcore G member and Episcopal um, 
uh, minister's son. And the second to recover at Towns Hospital. And Fitz, he insisted the book must express Christian biblical terms and Christian doctrines and values and have Bible references and expressions. A lot of those did make the big book, but they were reworded. But he also emphasized it must be focused on the teachings of the Oxford group and you must put it in the bottom of the page and all this. And lots of these guys in this committee were in and out of the Oxford group for years and they strongly believe the program should not be open to unbelievers, which is why Roland never joined AA. Oxford group um, requirement was you had to be a believer, right? And that's why Roland didn't join A because he didn't believe in the aspect of you choose your own God, all this stuff. So the second committee was called the liberals. And this was the largest of the three groups was big. And these were the more spiritual, um, feels like, like the Bill Wilson kind of guys, so, you know, the spiritual members and not as much religious mixture of, you know, spiritual and religious members, but really laid back, less aggressive, less combative, calm. And they were the voice of reason. And they really got people to listen because they're like the science guys. And they were more on the ways of Bill and they had no objection against the word God, but was, but no overuse of the word and sparingly and fearing too much God would scare people away. And they were dead set, 100% dead set against Christian doctrine in biblical terms. And spiritual, yes, Christian knows. These, these guys balance, help Bill balance these other two groups. And interesting, not many of the, the, the members of this group were OG members, um, Oxford group members. And one thing Bill did with the Oxford group is he would sneak people in there. He didn't care if they were Christian or not. He would just get them to do the tenets. And a lot of those guys are from that group. So the third committee was called the Radicals. This is the former agnostic members and atheist members. And remember, the atheist is the person that rejects all ideas of God. And the agnostic is just a skeptic. He's not sure he wants proof. He thinks something might be there. But, you know, but these guys had a rep being very outspoken, argumentative, cocky, egotistical, and aggressive. Sorry. Um, very, very argument and aggressive. The committee was led by Jim Burwell, who's an atheist. Hold on one second. I got this in text. You know, all sorts of distractions tonight. Um, so it's led by, so the committee was led by Jim Burwell and he's an atheist and he's known for being very aggressive and argumentative, but was also looked up as perhaps the smartest guy in the entire room. Very smart. Um, Jim, the contributions about the Aquaholics Anonymous were second only to Bill and Dr. Bob. For instance, when early A members, um, OG members, Oxford group members would, he would hear, like he heard a guy one time say, hey, you know, guy come in here, all you need to desire, all you need for membership is to believe in God. He said, no, all you need is desire to stop drinking. That's how top of his head, that's how smart he was. 
And that's where, where we got tradition three. And that drove more Oscar group members out of Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and he didn't care. But the, the, the title, um, chapter four, We Agnostics, came from Burwell. Um, the original draft of step two says, Cain to believe God can restore sanity. Burwell stepped in and said, just tone it down, power greater than ourselves. This ease into God. And we don't want God two times in a row. He was, he was the one that really helped build the synonymous words, you know, shift that, make it different. And Bill later said those expressions were lifesavers to, to the AA. But you would hear more about Bill Will, Burwell as I go to this group, you know, and I, and I explain, you know, later on when we get to how it works, I can explain like how we help Bill with the steps. Um, and, but th th this, this group, that, you know, it had another leader. And the second leader was Bill's right-hand man, and it was Hank Parkhurst. And he was Bill's first New York sponsee, a former uh, agnostic. In, you know, he believed now like a universal power. Um, Parkhurst is perhaps the most forgotten man in history. In Doc's opinion, um, he's the one, he's, he's a psychopath that uh, Soper describes, the man that he saw and he could barely recognize him years later. Right, when you saw him again. He's also the unbeliever in the story in the back of the book. He Hank was the, the wizard behind the curtain, right? He also had a significant role in the development of the big book. He was Bill's, like I said, right hand man writing the book, and he played an excessive role as an editor of texts and the stories. He wrote to the employers as well. Um, Bill even said without Hank and his hard driving and aggressiveness to raise money and promoting and keep me on track. He said, the book would never have gotten written. No Hank, no big, you know, no Hank, no big book. And Ruth said, if it wasn't for Bill Wilson, the big book never got written. And Ruth also said, if it wasn't for Hank, it would never got published. He's a smart, smooth talker, good salesman, very outspoken, very transparent with Bill. He wrote Bill a letter right before they go into the publishing. And, and cause he always asked for feedback. But he was ignoring uh, Hank. Bill got kind of tired of Hank by this time and was ignoring him. He sent him a letter. He said, Bill, here's these. He goes, you have to make these changes. If you don't, I will form a committee and you will, and I will make them for you. And we will make them for you. The changes were, were, were two changes that God has understood him after step three and step 11 that came from Burwell. It wasn't Hank... Bill was ignoring, he was ignoring Bill well because they were dragging the, this production of the book, but they were going to, you know, step over Bill and Bill's like, oh, wait a minute, you know. The only reason Hank is a forgotten member is because in September of 39, just months, just months after the big book came out, he started drinking again. He would never enjoy ever long-term sobriety and died, died a miserable drunk on the streets, you know, without a penny. Um, he tried to sue AA a few times, and, you know, there's a whole other story with that. But the radicals were totally against religious ideas and that type of tone um, and direction, saying that an alcoholic would never buy into it, you know, believing that a psychological book was the way to go. They wanted God deleted from the book entirely. Of course, the, the liberal ones, you know, said, hey, wait a minute, they, were, they spoke for Bill. Um, Bill did not necessarily like these guys a whole lot. He didn't agree with these guys a whole lot, but listen to them. Um, but the words like power and spiritual nature, sunlight of spirit came from these guys. 
Matter of fact, the words that refer to God, that don't, there are different words come from these guys. And Bill would say the greatest contribution of the book came from the atheist agnostics. He didn't realize that so way later, but they had widened the gateway because he didn't see it until people started doing the steps. And he said, well, wait a minute, these guys really helped us, you know? And it really widened the gateway for, for people to come through, regardless of how they believed or didn't believe. So every Tuesday, the committees would meet and they would gather at Bill's home and he would read what he had written the past week and they would start arguing over it. <laughs> and after, you know, the, it would get loud. It's like the stock market. And why 12 steps? You know, why on our knees? You know, you got too much God. They would just, you know, who wants to, you know, character defects? Why inventory? You know, uh, uh, more people disagree about the inventory than agreed upon it. But Bill went back down. Well, I'll get into that when we get to how it works, but debates went on for months. And Bill said he felt more like an umpire than an author. And many times he wanted to throw the book out the window and quit. But Bill was a salesman and he knew how to present the stuff to these people. And he had a way to calm the groups down in minutes and get them to listen to him. You know, he would explain to them the importance of every word. And at the end of the day, they trusted him because they all knew that there was something special about Bill. They knew he was more than just a talented writer. Um, he was, this, like I said, a visionary. They knew he was something more going on in him than the average person. There's, the big book was limited to 400 pages. The problem was they had to edit out 400 pages. They had 800 pages. 800. So what they did, what did they edit out? You know, they had planned to put 40 stories in the back of the book. Um, that, that was brought down to 28 and shortened to 16 and in some of the, and the, the length was shorter of the stories. But the big question is what was edited out of the first 164 pages? Bill's story was originally 38 pages long. Edited it down. Well, it wasn't edited out of 16. Bill rewrote it. You can find the original version. If you look up online, the original version of Bill's story is quite different. But it, um, there are rumors that two or three more chapters might have been removed. Some have stated there was deeper emphasis on six and seven. Now, this was a big rumor for a while that I believe is true because um, Passon mentions it about them stepping at it out, didn't say what it was. And when I visited a World Service, I sat with an archivist for 45 minutes and he confirmed it was true. And he said, from what he heard, how it works was going to be close to 100 pages long. Something crazy like that. And that led to speculation of when, what would they edit out. The archivist told me that what he heard was it was a broader deep enough four, maybe an explanation of a harm inventory, perhaps deeper on fear, um, and so forth. You know, this is the craziest part of that 400 pages they took out. Well, when they had the New York office where the original drafts were stored in barrels, right? And they moved to a larger office down the street. Rather than move these big barrels, they just threw them in the garbage. So no one will ever know what's on those edited out pages. <laughs> so the title of the book evolved from Book of Experience to 100 Men, then to A Way Out. Um, and the reason they, they 
got rid of 100 men. It's kind of before it's time because usually when they said men in those days, it meant everybody. But one of the members said, it was a male that said it, if we call ourselves 100 men and they're going to think we're just a male movement and 30 years from now, they might not look at it like that. Well, that's ahead of their time. Then it also was the way out. We could have been the way outs. <laughs> then they wanted the Wilson movement and the final choice is Alcoholics Anonymous. And that came from that sports writer, also came from Dr. Bob. In the spring of 38, Bill wrote to Dr. Bob suggesting, um, I mean, uh, the other way around, Dr. Bob wrote to Bill suggesting that the title of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and suggested to use the same name for the fellowship. Um, before Bill brought to Ruth, he would bring it to the committee to make changes. So they would have what's the original manuscript and it's the edited original draft. Um, you can find the book called The Book That Created It All. I was gonna put it up on the screen, but I forgot. But it's like, it shows pictures of the type, Ruth Hawks typings and all the scribbles of all these guys. It's so amazing. There's everything in there. Um, but the guy who, who sells that book bought, a, bought the original manuscript in a folder spiral back binder for 2.5 million dollars so in 1939 they had the big book cleaned up enough to bring it to the publisher and the public the public publication date was april 1st april uh, uh, uh i mean sorry the the publication was april 1st but it, it was printed at cornwall press in cornwall new york on April 4th, 1939, 4,730 4, 4, copies were made, which is unheard of for, they didn't have anything, everyone thought they were crazy, they Hank and Bill, right? The first 10 copies were delivered um, April 10th that year to um, the New York office, Newark office, and um, the Hank and Bill shared. And the price was $3.50, very expensive at the time. That would be $60 today. It, it had no fanfare whatsoever. It did not sell. It was a bomb. Hank sent 20,000 direct mail announcements to psychiatrists and doctors and produced two orders. Sink that for 20,000, two orders. But reviews of the medical um, uh, from like the Journal of American Medicine called the book organized propaganda. The journals of, of uh, nervous and I think it was medical disease, something like that, called it religious extortion with a bunch of rambling. So nearly all 4,700 copies sat in the warehouse of works publishing for quite a while. They were nearly bankrupt, but then in 1941, Two years into this, or two years it sent me off. In 1941, things changed when Saturday Evening Post, Jack Alexander, I believe his name was, posted a very positive article about the big book. And then came the New York Times article stating that the book was, the thesis, the thesis of the book had more sound based than psych, psychologically than any other book ever been written. Green Magazine, which is a prominent book at the time in New York, published an article calling the book the greatest liberating force of the 20th century. Another review said there was hope because there was finally something 
for former alcoholics and alcoholics. Another critic called it extraordinary. All this gained attention. A started receiving inquiries. People started knocking at their doors. It took two years to sell all those copies for the first printing, but they did it. So the, the first edition big book had five had fifty thousand copies worldwide. And that's from thirty-nine to fifty-five. Um and then the I'm sorry, I said it wrong. The, the, the big book total is 50 million copies has been sold. But from 39 to 55, first edition sold 300,000. Second edition, 1.1 million. Second edition, third edition, 76 to 2002, were, were 19 million, almost 20 million copies. And from 2002 to, to now, the fourth edition has done about 50 million. That's crazy. My friend always says, where, where, it was worse than 50 million members though. Because it's, A is a revolving door. But then in 2010, Time Magazine placed the big book on its list of the most influential books ever written. The Library of Congress designated as one of the 88 um, books that shaped America. It had been translated into 43 languages First edition printings today can be sold for as much as $400,000. The only things that have changed in the book are the, um, in the first six four pages. I mean, everything from us the same, slight changes. The biggest change happened in the second printing. Members came with the bill and said, hey, we're not having these Bernie Bush experiences like you had. We're having what William James called the spiritual awakening slowly over a period of time. So they changed step 12 to having had a spiritual experience, having a spiritual awakening. And he had a spiritual appendix to the back of the book. Um, other small changes were like ex-alcoholic to ex-problem drinker and non-drinker. When the second edition came out um, in 1955, they renumbered the big book. And Bill's story, uh, Doc's opinion was on page one. And Bill's story was pushed to page one they pushed Silkworth into the Roman numerals. And someone was asked, well, with Schmitty, who was Dr. Bob's son, I went to, I, my first got sober, I got to, to meet him at a conference and he was pretty old, but he said, that was all Bill. Bill wanted to be on page one. <laughs> so he, he just said, sorry, Silkworth, I pushed the Roman numerals. Because Dr. Penn was on page one. And also, Bill was the only one that wanted his book at the story at the beginning. They wanted to put Bill at the end of the book like the other guys. Um, the new forwards come out each time. They make the appropriate changes for the growth. You know, hundreds to thousands to millions. The U.S. copyright of the big book, first edition, expired in 1967. This is kind of funny. So 1983, the second edition expired and they re-upped it, but then they realized they never, they re-upped it before it expired. And they said, hey, if you guys realize we never re-upped the copyright of, of the first edition. So basically, the big book is public domain. And what that means is anyone can do a big book. Like, like I have this book, and it's the it's study edition that has the big book with like where you can put 
you know, your own notes inside of it to a blank page. Very cool stuff. It looks like that. So anyone could take a big book. I mean, Frank in here could take, uh, write Frank's big book and have notes and stuff in there. And the reason that was is, um, it's this public domain means it, it's to anybody. You can go on uh, Amazon and look at public domain books and there it is, you know. Um, but why is it nicknamed the big book is the question. And I don't have my uh, reprint in front of me, but it's really thick, right? And the reason was is the use of a new customized style pages was to make them thin so that they don't go like this and real thick. And, but that was way expensive. So they went to older style, thicker pages where the pages kind of, you know, went jagged with each other. And they saved a lot of money doing that. And Hank sold the idea to Bill, the thicker pages would convince Alcog that they get their money's worth, right? So the members called it the big book. And uh, it's only mentioned once in the big book in Florida second edition. Um, people are, are drawn to our book because the vast important has saved so many lives. You know, you think about it, it helped save my life. I have passion for it. When they made this book, they broke the mold. You know, I mean, it's the most perfect book I've ever read. There's not much like it. You can't find anything like it. You know, there's a, there's an episode of Star Trek where, I don't know if you guys remember, where they, uh, they find the planet and everyone's following Chicago, like the old Chicago in the 30s. Everyone's dressed up as gangsters. And what it was is these guys brought a book to this planet of the Chicago way and they read it and they turned into that. And my friend, grand sponsor used to joke, he said, maybe one day, you know, a few thousand years from now, they'll dig up the big book out of a crate and people will make that the only book we need. It's pretty, you know, makes a lot of sense. So next week, we're going to, guess what? We're going to open the book. And, um, yeah, I'll go from there. I'm going to stop recording. Recording stopped. So, um, anyone have any questions of stuff we covered or just something you want to throw in there or? I know. Steve, would you mind, what were the uh, three or four names that you mentioned that the big book was going to be called? I got the way out, a hundred men. Yeah, hold on a second. But, um, yeah, the way out, the Wilson movement, and um, well, book of experience, a hundred men, the way out, and the Wilson movement, and of course, Hot Box Notice. Thanks. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Um, the three groups you said the three, the kind of like committees for writing of the big book. I got the liberals and the radicals. What was the first group and their duties? The, well, the, the that was the conservatives. They were they were evangelistical Christians. They were the hardcore Christian members, and originally they were going to make it. They were going to make make just two groups. And, and, but they could, but they would have to divide up the Christian members and put some in the liberal and some in the radicals and the radicals didn't want them and the other guys didn't want them, so they, their own group. 
They have the most power. They have the most power. Thank you. I never knew that they it was broke up like that. So thank you for that. And like I said, when we get to how it works, I'm going to explain how um, the big book was written up to how it works and then how the steps evolved from... Because Bill wrote them down on a white piece, uh, uh, piece of binder paper. And then you bring them to each member and they keep evolving. And the steps, there's, the steps are all different. They, the words change on each 12 step. So that'll be, that'll be interesting when we get there too. Thank you, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, great job, Steve. Appreciate it. I'm a, I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. And I, I, you mentioned you're on WhatsApp. Or, uh, yeah, we're on WhatsApp. Slides you should. Yeah, how would I uh, hook up with you guys on WhatsApp? Um, Rob can, are, are you on WhatsApp? Or? Yes, I am. Okay, um, Rob can send you the link. And okay. it's actually it's actually the first link in the chat tonight I put up there. And oh, okay. that should be right. You should be able to get in there. I'll put that stuff up in there. So, Thank you. And then, um, yeah. The funny thing is, like, those books, my grand sponsor, he used to do this, and he would go over all these books and... I used to kind of say the same ones he did, but the more I studied it, the more I realized that there was books that a lot of people didn't know about. You know, a lot of, a lot of powerful books. There's, there's there's a bunch of them, but those are the main ones those guys read. They were really, and, and, and I've, I would say I read every single one, but I've looked through a lot of them, you know. Yeah, Steve, I tried to read for sinners only. I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's a little, little bit different. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a lot of those, a lot of those books you read and you could go back on it years later and you kind of get a different eye on it. Like when I read Modern Man in Church of Soul, like three years, four years sober, but then I read it again, like six years ago. It was like, it, it was like, it was like it been uh, translated for me. <laughs> yeah, made sense. Um, the the common sense of drinking. I, I as I was reading it, I highlighted what I recognized from the big book, and there there is a lot of stuff. Right, and you know, and the guy I mentioned um, was the Ralph Waldo Trine. Um, he. His style, um, you know, he he just fit those guys like a glove, you know. But the words like higher power and fourth dimension, but the way he would explain it, and, and you know, Bill, there's so many other words. I, there were, I could probably, he was a huge influence. Um, I think his book was higher power was the first time it was used, and the second time it was used in the book was a big book. You know, so that says a lot right there. And now you hear the word higher power all the time, you know, mentioned. Mm -hmm. Is anyone else, any other questions? Hi, I'm Fernando. The, um, that book Peabody was really interesting how you were quoting it. Sounds like um, we were built on top of that book. Yeah, except the only thing about him was he had 
a different philosophy and you believe alcohol, you know, believe in the allergy and all that stuff or disease. We believe there was, you know, we're alcoholics because of bad scheduling and stuff <laughs> and working too hard. And he died of alcoholic. He had no plan. But as far as the first 43 pages of the big book, pretty, pretty close, you know, take out, you know, the, without the disease aspect though. But I would say he's a huge influence on the chapter more about alcoholism big time. That's you know, his writing. Yeah. Wow. I never knew there were so many books to uh, compile. It's just, yeah. it's really amazing. Thank you. If you were to pick one from that list, which one would you say to start with? Uh, that's a tough one. I really, I I really like the modern man in search of a soul. But um, you can any, many, mighty mo those books pretty good. Um, I mean, I originally wasn't going to put comments to the drinking even in the list, but I had to be in there just because the influence. But um, some of the Oxford Group books, by the way, the Soul Surgery and um, pretty interesting. Anthony's Journals is kind of hard to find, but you can find stuff in there, and that's interesting too. But the. Well I haven't been able to um, grasp uh, the Emmett Fox books at all. Right. I, I, it's over my head. Well, see, here's the thing is, the first time I read Emmett Fox books, same thing, it went like right over my head. Yeah. It wasn't until about five years, about six years ago now, in uh, where I live, a guy uh, put together a, a um, sermon and amount discussion group and me and my sponsor at the time and a bunch of us went there and everyone got a new understanding of that book we, because we brought the solution to it. But you have to have that interpretation. And then I started going, oh, oh, oh. It started making sense. Yeah. And then we did another, We when pandemic hit, we did like a daily Zoom meeting where we went through it too. And that was a lot of fun. Okay. Wow. The um, Sermon on the Mount, if you get to the back of the book and read the breakdown of the Our Father, that, that was my favorite part. That's, that's a good part in there. That's yeah. what I like. Yeah. Okay. Right. Thank you. And the, the way he breaks down the Beatitudes in there, you know, I'm not a biblical person, but I mean, deep biblical person, but the way he brought it in there, it went a whole different aspect, you know, and it made sense. And you see the influence of that book was on Bill when you read that part of the book. Big time. Yeah, Bill and his friends, like I think it was him and Hank, and like him and Hank and some other guys, there's like 30, 36, I think it was, or 37. They huh? snuck into a, like a expensive <laughs> dinner for um, an Emmett Fox thing. And they just snuck in there and sat in the back of the room. But it was like a plate, you know, five hundred dollar plate dinner or something like that. And they just snuck in there. But I mean, like Fox would speak in front of thousands, and then he spoke in front of eight thousand one time. You know, he always did stuff in New York, but the churches would eventually tell him, you, you know, go somewhere else other than the church because you're teaching stuff that's, you know, people, you know, people started. Uh, taking action instead of just believing, you know, and that was a thing. 
you know, because of these guys. And that's the, that's the thing that happened to these guys in the big book. You know, I mean, there's 40 members. They started, you know, they went from believing to knowledge, experience. And that's what they, they couldn't put in the words. And these guys put in the words for these books, most of the books. I mean, I, I wouldn't say Peabody did, but, but, you know, there's that interesting story. Peabody died in 38 and Bill had, had huge influence in the big book and they found he died and they found he died of alcoholism. There was talk about taking some of the things out and they said, no, because it's a powerful lesson. The guy never, they knew the guy did not have any type of structure. It's a very powerful. It's kind of like a, it's almost like a Washingtonian's lesson, you know, fellowships enough, you know, type thing. The same thing with that. It just shows you that you can be the greatest. You can be the one of the, the greatest uh, teachers of alcoholism ever, and not stay sober. <laughs> what else? Anyone else? Just want to thank you. Just one, one thing I want to mention is the, the, the importance of Hank Parker's the AA. And it was a big, a big, uh, big thing for what he did and everything like that. And, you know, he, he really didn't fit in with any of the guys because he had a spiritual awakening and all that stuff. But, he, the other guys didn't show their angry sides very often. And Hank always was, you know, judgmental and angry a lot. And and when he drank again, it wasn't like, no, no put it this way, no jaws dropped to the ground. You know, none. And um, Steve, my understanding was that Hank Parkhurst was the one who stood up in the meeting and told Bill not to take the job. Yeah. Yeah, I, that, that, you're right. That was Hank. He was, there's so much that he brought to it, you know, and, but see, here's the difference. The thing was, is Hank, the rest of the guys saw a recovery program that could help millions. Hank saw millions <laughs> and dollar signs. That was the difference. He saw dollar signs. He want, He wanted that money. You know, and that wasn't, no one else thought that way. I mean, Bill, Bill and, and Bob were given rituals and stuff like that, pay off debts and stuff, but it wasn't like, wasn't, you know, they gave, they didn't ask for that. You know, it was given by, you know, AA, but Hank had, um, when he left Oxford group, I mean, uh, AA, he took off to, um, he kept kicking in the door of the office They kicked him out of him. He wanted his furniture and stuff and he tried to sue him and all this stuff. And then he wanted his, his money for the big book. And he tried to say Bill had secret money hidden away and all this stuff. And so what did he do is, so one of um, Dr. Bob's sponsees was a guy named Clarence Snyder and at Cleveland. Clarence was the first person to sponsor out of the big book. No one sponsored the big book before Clarence did. And Bill Wilson was extremely jealous of anyone that started getting, 
he's Joel is a jealous person. And when people start talking that, hey, you know what? Um, this guy, Clarence Snyder, really knows his stuff. And he get jealous. And then they butted heads. And then Clarence claimed that he came up with the name Alcoholics Anonymous and all this stuff. But anyways, so Bill, he, he, Hank knew that it, after like three years, you know, I think it was 42 or something like that, that Snyder got sober me, 42, 42 or something like that. Hank came back around and he went to Cleveland and he got the, these guys who were, you know, Cleveland members who were kind of standoffish against Akron and New York to separate and sue the other guys. And, and he thought, if I can get these guys behind me, in his mind, it was going to work. And he went to, Hank went to them and said, here's all the money that Bill and Bob are stealing from you. And so Bill and Bob show up with two lawyers, Bill's lawyer, Bob's lawyer, and just other lawyers. And they put it all on the table and the Cleveland was really look, looked like fools and Hank was never seen again after that, you know, but he actually thought that he could take over AA, extort Bill out of AA, you know, and it was like, you know, it was never going to happen, but he really just wanted to bring it down and destroy it, you know, but anyways, um, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of cool stuff about the first one. And in, in a few weeks, we're going to get to like looking at the first 100, like by name and stuff and seeing like how many, like, you know, Akron had probably the highest recovery rates. I mean, they had like 16 in a row at one, one point where New York struggled and struggled and struggled. So we'll get all into that though, but I got to get going. I got find out why my kids are being so loud during this thing. <laughs> and, uh, but <clears throat> does anyone have any more questions before I go? Or? Excellent. No. Oh, What's just, that? Excellent. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I was just going to mention that book you uh, showed us, the one that had all the notes and so forth. That That is so handy, you know, that, uh, that you can put your, you know, all your, because things change and you can have your own. Oh, it's, that's the best thing. It's other than the big book. That's the sec, my, the best thing that ever came out because it yeah. shows you, let me grab that really quick. His name was, um, the guy who bought the manuscript, his name was Ken Roberts and he used his own money to publish that book for us. Huh. To you know, so this, to make it available. Uh, to it's, like, it's like fifty bucks on Amazon. Woo. But if you open it up and you see, like for instance, let's look at. Um, I have mine there. <laughs> <laughs> I've been one let's night of drinking. Here, here's parts of how it works. I mean, look at this. Oh. You can see, you know, you can see the thing how he did that. It's amazing. You know, well, and then there's another one. <laughs> it goes through, and there's so much. I mean, there's so much, and there's a guy on Zoom who I don't see on Zoom anymore, but he did a um, book study using this and broke down everything. You know, who said what in there and stuff, and it only was on one time. It was never reported. I, my friend, I, I went to with my friend and. We listened to the guy. It was quite extraordinary. 
So, if you come across his name again, maybe you could let us know down the yeah, road. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I I don't remember his name at all. He was it was it was a group of people. It was oh. it, like a, it was. You know, remember the first Zoom meetings when the pandemic hit were pretty raw. A lot of them were just like groups of people. All you know, everyone there was no like leaders. It was just, you know, people. We thought this would be, you know, something that lasts a week. You know what I mean? And yeah. So, anyways, well, I gotta get going. I'll be in here. I'll be back next week and um, have a good, healthy weekend. And come check us out tomorrow. We have a good speaker. All right. Thank you, Steve, right. for everything. Good night, thank everyone. You, thank you. All right, see you later. Good night. Yes. Thank you very much. Good night.